0: Go ahead and have a seat before we get into our study this morning. We'd like, we have a quick uh, announcement to make. If I could have the Vallejos family come up here. Robert and Catherine and the boys. One short of a basketball team. Many of you probably know, if you have children especially, know that uh, Catherine is our children's ministry director uh, here at Calvary Chapel Surprise, and Robert is, has come alongside her. and just been such an enormous blessing and, and help, and uh, what a blessing they are to our family here corporately, to me and my wife personally, and our, our family personally. Uh, One of the things, with as with any family, as you've probably all dealt with and gone through this before in your immediate uh, family, is that there are times when God calls part of our family away, and that is what's happening now. Um, Robert has been blessed with a a promotion at work that is going to take them to Southern California. So I wanted to take a moment and uh, pray together as a family for a part of our family that is going to be going on to another part of the country. So if you would uh, pray with me now. Father, we thank you for, for the gift of family. The fact that you call us to be a part of your family. We call you Father, Abba Father. And Lord, it, while it is, it is difficult when... Those close to us move away. Lord, we, we also know and we have joy and excitement and anticipation with them as they, as they move that you have plans for them in another place. So Lord, I ask that you continue to bless Robert and Catherine and their boys. Lord, use them in mighty ways. We thank you for their hearts and their willingness to, to serve so many here, to pour their lives out for so many here amongst our fellowship. Lord, we ask you bless them, keep them safe. Continue to use them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Okay, if you would now take out your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Peter. Continue our study through God's Word one verse at a time, and we are started last week the study of this First letter that Peter wrote to the Christian churches, we talked about the fact that they are scattered throughout an, an area. Many of them Peter probably visited personally. First Peter, chapter 1, and we'll get a little running start at verse 1 where we left off last week. We talked about the fact that this is Peter, one of the 12 disciples that wrote this letter. We talked in depth about his life and and ministry and calling last week. 1 Peter 1, verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. A lot packed into that little verse, no? First, before we get into the area that we're going to spend most of our time talking about, I want you to see that Peter clearly understands the doctrine of the Trinity. They're all mentioned for us in verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. We are going to see as we continue through our study this morning that all of the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all are responsible for our salvation. All of them work together to bring about our salvation. And we're going to break apart and look at the three individual pieces this morning. First, we're going to take a look at what it says about our Father. It says that speaking, writing to these Christians, and then obviously then speaking forward to us as Christians, and all Christians, all of those who have ever accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he says that we have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father that phrase right there has been argued about, bantered about, discussed in great detail for 2,000 plus years now. It's gotten to the point where many pastors, and you, if you've grown up in church, you may have never heard of the doctrine of election. Because many, instead of Addressing it, many instead of discussing it, simply avoid it and say, ah, that's something that, you know, make an appointment with me if you want to know more about that. We can talk one-on-one about that. (laughs) Chosen by the Father. Chosen. It's not some weird Greek word that they had to come up with a reason. Chosen, it means to select, personally, intimately choosing someone. There's no hidden meaning within the word. So when did this choice happen? Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, because Peter's not the only one that talks about this. Paul does in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Wow. Paul even talks about some stuff that Peter doesn't mention in his verse. He tells us that this happened before the foundation of the world. This choice, this election happened before God created the world. This happened in eternity past. He tells us that we were predestined to be adopted into this family. And when we start wrestling with what this is really saying, hence there comes the argument, the discussion, the problem that many people see in this. Because we are speaking here of a sovereign God, a holy and righteous and sovereign God in complete control of all things, choosing us for salvation in eternity past. And many people say, well, wait a second, I thought that we had a choice to make. I thought that we have a free will in this and that, that, that I'm involved too in my salvation process and hence this is where everything starts to unravel and the argument begins. I want to let you know that this morning that the goal of what I want to accomplish today and I believe the goal that the, the Lord wants to accomplish through me today is not to reconcile this battle in our puny minds. It is to embrace the beauty of this in our purified hearts. I have to be honest with you. God did not give me any special revelation this week that I'm going to share with you that no one else knows about that we're going to be able to walk out and say, got it. Makes perfect sense now. God tells us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, that his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours that he says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above yours. And yet we spend so much time trying to intellectually ascend there so that we can understand some of these things that we were never intended to completely grab a hold of. Many people look at the, the, this, this battle of absolute sovereignty and man's free will and say, it has to be an either or. No, it doesn't. The Bible clearly teaches both. We're going to talk about that today. And many people feel that, well, I need to apologize. I need to make up something for this. I, you know, somehow we have to cover over this. We don't have to do that either. Jesus didn't. John, verse, John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Election, chosen. All that the Father chose in eternity past, he will give to me, all of them. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So Jesus said, it's an open invitation to all. And anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. Jesus clearly teaches in one verse both the doctrine of election and free will. Jesus did it. Paul does it. Peter does it. J. Vernon McGee said this You and I are down here, and we don't see into the machinery of heaven. I don't know how God runs that computer of election, but I know that He has given to you and to me a free will, and we have to exercise it. The doctrine of election, He chose us from eternity past. But we have a free will. And we have to exercise that free will. So can the non-elect come to Jesus, as he said in in verse 37 of chapter 6 of John? Can the non-elect come to Jesus? Well, if they come, they're not their elect. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) He says that we are chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, foreknowledge, comes from the Greek word pro pro meaning before, gnosko meaning to know or knowledge, clearly speaking of prior knowledge. It literally means to know in advance or beforehand. Now again, many people look at this now and say, okay, I have to somehow understand what God's foreknowledge means. Got it. God, in eternity past, since he knows everything, he's able to look through the tunnel of time and see who in the future is going to choose him. And then he's going to say, all right, I choose them. Somehow, he's going to look through eternity from past and see me and see, man, I want him on my team. Look at all of the things he can bring. Kind of like... God and Satan are back in eternity past and they're having a fantasy football draft. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to project, I I, I choose him. Now it's your turn. Uh, I I choose him. Silly. But many people look at that and say, okay, that's that's the way it must have happened. God looking through and he's going to choose the ones he now sees that chose him. I see at least three huge problems with that. First of all, that now places the sovereignty of my of of my salvation with me. That means that God picked me because I picked Him, and that's backwards. Jesus said, "You didn't choose me; I chose you." And that also then allows me to boast. I can say, "Man, God made a great choice, didn't He?" I mean, I, I I chose Him. So obviously, of course, he had to choose me. I mean, he's just, he's he's smart. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If I chose first, then I boast. So that's, that's one huge problem. Sovereignty shifts to me. Secondly, another big problem with that is now I get to share in his glory. No, uh His glory is reserved for him and him alone. And again, somehow in my puny mind, I feel that if I have to somehow understand God and be able to completely rationalize all of this, again, I'm ascending myself up to his glory level. It doesn't work. Romans... Eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. My puny brain isn't going to figure all of this out. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Now, again, here I am. God, you owe me. Share the glory with me. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All his. The glory is all his. So I would somehow, sovereignty shift to me, I share the glory. The third big problem, and probably the one that goes first before all of this, is it assumes that in my sinful fallen state that I'm going to somehow want to choose him. And the Bible is clear that that doesn't happen. In my sinful nature, I want nothing to do with God. None of us do. Romans 3.11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. The Bible clearly teaches that this can't possibly be the case, that God looked from eternity past and saw us choosing Him, so He chose us. So if we look at this word foreknowledge a little closer, knowledge also carries with it the intimacy and love. And when we see this, we, we grasp the fact that God, the Father, pre thought predestined to place his intimate, personal love on you and on me. He predetermined this. And instead of getting all caught up in how the machinery, and as J. Vernon McGee said, the computer works up there, think of that for a moment. One commentator wrote this. Knowledge with a purpose that could never be frustrated. It is not enough to say that God foreknew those who he realized would one day repent and believe. Actually, it is his foreknowledge that ensures eventual repentance and belief. Think of that again for a second. In eternity past, God chose you. And he loved you so much That he made sure that you would repent, come to belief in Jesus, his son, and live eternally in heaven with him. Just bask in that for a second. The creator of all things, that holds the universe in the palm of his hand, loves you personally and intimately that much. Wow. I mean, I'm not wanting to get all Pentecostal or anything, but that's an amen. That's what I believe God wants us to hear today. But so often we can get this all mixed around. And again, moving from a heart thing to a head thing. Please understand, and when we start we're talking now about this doctrine of election and foreknowledge. Election does not, does not imply the rejection of the non chosen. Many people believe when they read verses like we've read today that that means that because I was chosen in eternity past for salvation, there were those that were chosen in eternity past for damnation. That's not God. That's not God. We need to understand one very extremely important truth. Man is not lost because they were not elected by his choice. Man is lost because we are sinners by our choice. The problem with many as they wrestle with this is they want to use the blame game now. Well, if I don't go to heaven, it's God's fault because he didn't choose me. And again, now shifting the responsibility away from myself and onto God. I'm going to blame him for the problem. If he wanted me, he'd have chose me. My sinful life isn't my problem, it's his. It's a cop-out. D.L. Moody, I love this, he said, the elect are the whosoever wills and the non-elect are the whosoever wants. God's heart is not that we're the saved ones and the others are the damned ones. God's heart is that all would come Everyone would come. Second Peter 3.9, we're going to get to it in, in a few weeks. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Everyone. First Timothy 2, Paul repeats what Peter says. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who does he desire to come to the truth? All men. I've said it before, one of my favorite understandings of the Greek word all is all means all, and that's all all means. Everyone. That's God's heart. That everyone would come to him. Now, does it make any sense whatsoever that in eternity past he, he chose some people for damnation, but now wants them to come to him? Did the Holy Spirit make a typo? It wasn't really all men. It was some men, but oops, it's in there. Got to leave it. It made it through the final editing process. No. God's heart is that all men be saved. Charles Spurgeon said this, and by the way, Charles Spurgeon is one of those Calvinists that believe you know, people put on there that he was, he was one who, who really pushed election as opposed to free will. Listen to what he said. In a commentary on this 1 Timothy 2 verse, my love of consistency with my own doctrinal views is not great enough to allow me to knowingly alter a single text of scripture. I have great respect for orthodoxy, but my reverence for the inspiration of Scripture is far greater. I would sooner a hundred times over appear to be inconsistent with myself than to be inconsistent with the Word of God. God forbid that I should cut or shape, even in the least degree, any divine expression. So runs the text, and so we must read it. God desires all men to be saved. So election does not imply that Those that are unchosen are rejected by God. And foreknowledge does not infringe on man's free will. Because God knew ahead of time the choices that we would make. It does not infringe on the fact that we are responsible for the choices we make. Now, last week, I asked a question. When when Jesus said to Peter, Tonight you will deny me three times. And I asked the question... Did Peter have a choice? All of those who answered no, you want to change your answer now? (laughs) Yes, Peter had a choice. Just because Jesus knew what Peter would choose did not mean that Jesus made Peter choose that. Peter was responsible for the choice that he made, just as you and I are, for every choice we make. We will be held accountable for the choices we make. Just because, again, God knows ahead of time the choices we will make does not shift the blame to him. But praise Jesus. He went to the cross for all the bad decisions we make. And with regards to our salvation, while God ordains the end, while he chooses the end, our salvation, he also ordains the means to that end. The Bible, the Bible is clear that people come to repentance and an understanding of their sin by hearing the word of God. The preaching of the gospel of grace is, is an intricate part of God's plan for salvation. If it was just a matter of the, the, those, the, the, whoever wills chosen in past and whoever won't, chosen in past, why bother with all the rest? But God laid it out clearly. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter, keep, if you're still in Ephesians, keep your finger there. We're coming back in just a second. First Peter, back there, First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. We're born again through receiving and accepting the living word of God, the truth of his word. Paul again says the same thing in Romans chapter 10 a little differently. He says, "Then, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And by the way, he's not speaking about me. He's speaking about you. (laughs) How will they hear without you telling them? How will they hear without you telling them about God's word? Giving them the truth. So God ordains that it comes through the preaching of the gospel of peace, but it also is a requirement that we receive the free gift. We have to exercise our free will and receive the free gift through faith. Again, back in Ephesians chapter one, Paul, as we read through a few verses, talks about being chosen, talks about predestination. But in verse 13, he says this. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not enough just to hear it. You have to believe it. You, and believing it, again, isn't just some intellectual thing. It's a surrender to the truth of God's word, pouring your life out to it. Paul, later, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When I think of that verse, would Paul have wasted any of that energy begging someone to come to be reconciled with Christ if it was all predetermined ahead of time? If it didn't matter if he shared the truth or if somebody personally received it, would would he have wasted all of that time and effort? Of course not. So we need to receive this free gift, this gift of grace through faith, exercised by using our free will to make this choice. How? Well, back in our verse, verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. At the moment that we are born again, That is the Holy Spirit moving and actively working within us, but it begins before that. His work in us begins before that moment because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. Again, before that moment, we're thinking we're all good. Everything's fine. I'm doing more good than bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm fine with all of this, but it's the Holy Spirit that shows us that... It's not, I'm not compared with that guy. I'm held to the perfect standard that God laid out in his word. I am compared to Christ. And I fall so far short of that. It's his work that convicts us of that. It's his work that reveals to us that on our own, we can't fix this problem and that it's only through surrendering to Jesus that we can come to this reconciled relationship with God. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can exercise that faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ were chosen in eternity past by the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit which means that we are saved on his terms his way not any way his way and Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me so We're saved because of the foreknowledge of the Father, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior on the cross. Which, by the way, if we're in 1 Peter again, chapter 1, verse 18, also is according to the foreknowledge of the Father. 1 Peter 1, 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Verse 20, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him our believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. In eternity past, again, when God chose you unto salvation, when he chose me, he also knew that there was going to be a reason that we needed to be chosen and that reason is that we were going to choose to sin. That we were going to, that we were going to rebel against his holy word and do our own thing. And he knew that there was nothing that we could possibly do to fix that. So in eternity past, again, God the Son, Jesus, said, I will take their place. And in the time ordained before the foundation of the world, he stepped out of heaven, became fully man while remaining fully God, and lived a perfect, sinless life here on earth. And then, at the time, foreknown by the Father... He suffered and died on the cross in our place, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And then three days later, rose again, showing that that sacrifice on our behalf was accepted fully by the Father. The foreknowledge. Again, if you still have your mark in Ephesians, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1 as well. Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. The redemption. Our reconciliation with the Father. All of the members of the Trinity work together to bring about our salvation. All of them. So, the, the, the question that would be asked, so when, when are we saved? Well, from the Father's viewpoint, we're saved eternity past when he chose us. From the Holy Spirit's standpoint, we are saved the moment that we are born again and we exercise our free will to receive him. And from Jesus' standpoint, we are saved the moment when he is hanging on the cross And with one of his last breaths, he cries out, It is finished. Father, I've paid it all for them. I've poured out everything for them. It is finished. I have paid their debt. If you are here this morning and you have never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered your life to him, trusting in him and him alone. His finished work on the cross for your salvation. Please understand that if if you were to die today, if you were to die in this state, you would spend eternity in hell, separated from the love of God, facing the wrath of God, the penalty for your sin, forever. But as I've been explaining this morning. There's an alternative. And I know because everyone in this room has experienced this before, there's something going on inside of you right now. I can't explain it, anything else other than you're here and he's talking to me. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that's begun in you. And and you might be saying right now, because the enemy's probably whispering in your ear, you're not elect. Receive Jesus today and be elected. It's it's not a magic formula. It's simply a matter of recognizing the fact that you have sinned and offended a holy and righteous God. It's It's treason, and we all have. It's recognizing that fact. It's then repenting of your sin. That means turning from your sin, turning to Jesus, and you receive the free gift that he paid for when he hung on the cross and suffered and died in your place. This is an amazing truth that is revealed to us here. How, how the Trinity works together. How the Godhead loves us so much that they did all of this. And there's a reason that it's laid out for us so clearly here. And that's what I believe that Paul wants to, or Peter wants to get across in our text. Not only that they work together for our salvation, but they provide assurance of that salvation. Look as our text continues. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read it in its totality from who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his grace or his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, wow. And as I look at this, I, I think it's funny, because... Peter didn't just spend 45 minutes explaining election. (laughs) He simply stated the fact, and now he's going to spend virtually the rest of the letter talking about the benefits of this fact. And we get, again, so caught up in trying to understand intellectually all of this that we miss the blessing that God wants us to have because of this amazing truth. Grace. Peace, mercy, living hope. And again, that hope isn't the hope that you and I have Then we talk about having now, like we hope the Cardinals win later today. That's not the hope that Peter is talking about. Hope in the New Testament is the absolute rock-solid assurance that what is being promised will come to pass. That is the living hope that Peter is talking about. And let me ask you, if it was based upon your efforts, how much assurance do you have? Not a whole lot. And that's why I believe that Paul just lays it out there that our salvation is based on this foreknowledge of God that that he chose us. And the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us and the completed work of Jesus on the cross so that we can have assurance. Again, I, I look at the, the comparative thing here as to, you know, he, he just mentions it, and then he talks about all of the great things that come from it. But we in our minds just can't come to grips with that. I, I got to believe that there's people here today that are still sitting here thinking, okay, I heard everything you said, but I can't accept that. I got to understand it. I am not just going to walk blindly into something unless I completely understand it. And that, again, is such a cop-out. How many of you today are going to go home and watch a football game on TV? Well, I should maybe ask how many aren't. <laughs> you're all going to walk home today, go home today, and, or at some point during the week, and you're going to turn on your television set, and let's just again use the Cardinals game, and that's even close by. We could talk about a game across the country, like the Bronco game. But <laughs> the Cardinal game, You you turn on the TV, and on your HD television set, live, the game from across town is being connected to your television set without any wires. It's traveling through the air up to a satellite, by the way, that is way out there, and then comes way back. Understand that? (laughs) I doubt it. Well, you could say, okay, I, I don't, but there are people out there that do. Okay, smart guy. Here's something that nobody understands, still. Everything, everything is made up, broken down into atoms. We learned this in science class, right? All matter made up of atoms. Protons, neutrons, electrons. Protons, positively charged particles. Electrons, negatively charged particles. Neutrons, neutrally charged particles all packed together in in, in these tiny little atoms, just zillions of them, just all spinning around. Have a magnet test. Two positive sides of a magnet. You try to push them together, what happens, right? They push apart. Flip them around, you got a positive and a negative, what happens? Boom, they stick together, right? Simple. The question that science cannot answer still today, all of these electrons that are all negatively charged, spinning around the outside of the atom, what keeps them from going? They have the same charge. They should be exploding away from each other. And what keeps the positively charged protons and the negatively charged electrons from going together? Nobody knows. They can't answer that question. So they come up with something brilliant like, they call it atomic glue. AG, atomic glue. Do you completely understand that? No. So how come you're not exploding? Or imploding? We accept it on faith. We accept it because that's the... And you know what? We relax in it. Anybody worried about exploding right now? No. We accept it. Because it just is. I don't have to understand it. I can't. I don't have to understand how this picture shows up on my television. I'm going to go home this afternoon and relax and watch it and enjoy it. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to enjoy this. He wants us to enjoy the fact that we have been chosen by him. That the Holy Spirit has worked and moved within us so that we would exercise this free will to believe He wants us to enjoy the fact that Jesus paid it all. He wants us to relax and to have grace and peace in the fullest measure. He wants us to embrace the grace. He wants us to increase the peace. By the way, just real quickly, I do know the secret to the atom. And so do you. Colossians 1.17 tells us that in Christ, all things consist. All things are held together. So it's not AG, atomic glue. It's AG, almighty God that holds it all together. But God wants us to rest in this. Psalm 131, I don't have the verses up there, you can jot it down, read it, it's three verses long. It says this, David writing, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. That's your job, God. I'm not going to get involved in that, because he goes on, surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. I'm not gonna get all wound up about this stuff. God, I'm just gonna relax. Again, I love the illustration: a wean child against his mother. He's not, the child isn't all worried about where everything's gonna happen. He's just resting in his mother's arms. And we are to rest in our Savior's arms. We're born again to a living hope, according to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But one thing I want to draw our attention to real quickly as we close. Look what it says again in verse 2. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey. To obey. That's our job. To obey. Now, Obedience does not save us. Faith in Christ alone saves us. But a faith that saves us, a genuine faith, produces obedience. We talked about this going through James. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. We are to obey our Lord and Savior. We are to study his word. We are to pray. What he tells us to do, we are to do. Some of those things, just extremely short list, (laughs) we're to love one another. We are to tell others about him. We are to share what we know with those who don't know it. We are to pray. And one of the other things that he has commanded us to do we're going to do right now together, and that's to celebrate communion. And I I pray this morning as the ushers now come forward and our worship team comes up to lead us in a song while we distribute the elements, my prayer is now that perhaps this takes on a little bit more excitement, That, that... as we understand that this, right now, what we're doing, what we're celebrating was ordained in eternity past and that this meeting right now, us right here right now was no accident. What an amazing God we have, amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do stand here in awe of you. We are amazed by you. And Lord, instead of getting all wound up, and so easily tripped up in trying to somehow intellectually ascend ourselves to a point where we can fully understand you, oh Lord, forgive us for ever trying. Lord, I pray that right now in the quietness of our hearts, in the stillness of our spirit, we can just embrace the truth and praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.